So in, in a sense, I, I don't get too bummed out by people who claim to be Christians and do really bizarre things. Mm. I get more mad at me when I fail mm. and uh, when I embarrass the Lord. Welcome back to the Sand Hills Podcast. My name is Pastor John. Today we are joined by Dr. Larry Dixon. How are you doing? Welcome I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, John. Absolutely. Thanks for being on the show. And we're going to get to discuss today uh, another one of our viewer uh, submitted questions, which is why doesn't God do more to stop his followers from giving himself a bad rap, bad name? And I'm when I read that question, I was like, that's a fantastic question because I've wondered it myself a few times. Sure. And uh, But before we jump into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you uh, get to become a doctor? How did you um, get to become a Christian? And how did you get connected with Sandhills? Sure, glad to go over that a little bit. I got saved as a teenager. <clears throat> got saved primarily out of a fear of going to hell. <laughs> mm. <clears throat> it's not the only, only reason to be a Christian, but it's a, a good reason to get saved. Oh, yeah. And... Um, uh, I think the Lord just guided me as a as a young person to get a real interest in teaching, and so began pursuing a, a degree in a Bible college and eventually seminary. And uh, the more that I got into it, the more I I loved teaching and being prepared to teach. And so eventually went on for a PhD and uh, have a wonderful wife of fifty years now behind me who kind of helped me all the way. But uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a great experience. I retired a few years ago from teaching theology at uh, Columbia International University in the mm. seminary. Ramam Rams, alma yeah. mater. Absolutely, there it is, uh, right here in the heart of Columbia. And congratulations, because it was just two weeks ago, wasn't it? That yep. you celebrated your fiftieth. Yep, that's Absolutely. fantastic. So uh, you have a background in uh, teaching and studying systematic theology. Right. right? Um, can you tell our viewers a little bit more about what systematic theology is and how we can use it? Sure. Systematic theology is basically collecting all the data of Scripture on a particular doctrine. So, for example, we would talk about the doctrine of the church or the doctrine of sin or the doctrine of final things or the doctrine of Christ. Mm. And uh, I would assist students in working their way through all of the Bible in pulling that information together. And there are other ways to look at the data of Scripture, historical theology, biblical theology, and so on. But mm -hmm. for me, that was uh, that was the area of theology that God called me to. Excellent. So it's really what does the whole of Scripture say about specific issues exactly. and walking through that. Right. So what would we put this under when it comes to theology, this question? I would probably put it under the doctrine of salvation. In other mm. words, how was the Christian life lived out? How do we practically show that we've been born again? Mm. And what do we do when we mess up? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's where I would probably put it. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And that's, I think that kind of gets us to the first question. Because um, this is a big question. You know, why doesn't God do more to stop his own people from giving himself a bad rap? That's a huge question. And there are smaller questions within that that we have to answer before mm. we can really answer it. In fullness. So I guess what the first thing is, if we're talking about why doesn't God stop his followers from giving himself a bad rap, let's start with what does it mean to be a follower of God? Kind of talking about that. And are there fake followers of God? How do we sure. reconcile these things? Well, I think that's where we get back to the very term gospel, which means good news. And a true follower of Christ, a true follower of God, is someone who has received the gospel, been born from above or born again. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so there are many religious people, but there are people who have trusted Christ as their Savior, and as a result, 
move from the category of being a believer to being a disciple. Disciple mm. means a learner. And so that's someone who is learning uh, how to glorify God in every aspect of life. And there are fake followers. There are people that do religious things uh, that uh, maybe use religious language and, uh, and seek to show to the world that they care about spiritual things. Mm. I'm thinking of Matthew chapter 7 where uh, Jesus says this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, mm. but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Mm. It's a fascinating text because yeah. Jesus doesn't say you didn't prophesy in my name. Uh, you didn't cast out demons in my name. You didn't perform miracles in my name. He doesn't contradict their claims. Right. He simply says, I never knew you. Mm. And so biblical Christianity is the issue of knowing Jesus Christ personally, having a relationship with him through faith, mm -hmm. and that's the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think of, you know, didn't we call you Lord, Lord? And, and one of the questions, I think, and one of the things we should ask ourselves is, are we looking at this Christian thing and just going and calling ourselves a follower of Christ and saying, well, didn't I go to church on Sunday? Didn't I sing the hymns? You know, didn't I pray the prayer? And do these basic things that, you know, yes, you did do them, but did you really believe in them? Right. And were you really fully committed? I had a conversation with a young man yesterday that uh, his mother said that he had trusted Christ as a child. And I began asking him, let's just call him Mike. That's not his name. But I said, mm -hmm. I said, Mike, tell me about your walk with the Lord. And he looked at me like I was from another planet. And oh. I had to explain what I meant with the expression, your walk with the Lord. Mm. And the more we talked, the more I realized he has never trusted Christ as a savior. Wow. And so I said this to him, I said, I said, Mike, there's a difference between being a cultural Christian and mm. being a biblical Christian. And he was very interested. He says, what's the difference? And I said, well, a cultural Christian is someone who goes to church once in a while. They try to do good things. They don't beat their dog more than once a week. Right. You know, they try <laughs> to be a good neighbor, et cetera. Uh, that's a cultural Christian. Um, mm. He says, that's where I am. He says, so mm. what's a biblical Christian? And I said, well, that's the issue of being born from above, trusting Christ as your Savior, getting your sins forgiven, finding peace with God uh, through the sacrifice of Christ. And he was very honest, and he says, I'm not there. I'm not there. And I said, well, uh, just to be very honest with you, you're not yet born again. And mm. uh, I, I will do everything in my power to help you get closer to that. Right. But um, I think in many ways it helped him to realize he was, he was simply a cultural Christian. Mm. And I think that's where, honestly, the heart of this, this question needs to be addressed is that idea of, when someone asks, why doesn't God do more to stop his followers? You got to understand, okay, I don't think that God's disciples are giving him a bad rap. I think it's cultural Christians that people tend to look at and give them a bad rap, right? And that's that idea of it can become difficult when you see something like the Westboro Baptist Church protesting funerals. And then they say, well, those are what Christians do. And then a disciple of Christ who's walking and is loving and is serving the poor and, 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 and doing the work of Jesus Christ is going, that's not, that's not what I do. That's not what Christ mm -hmm. has done for us. 
Uh, and, and that person is not giving God a bad rap because they're serving it like the way that Christ does. And so I think that's one of the big things as we reconcile this idea of, okay, well, is there's a good God and there's genuine believers? Why isn't just everyone who calls God, God, a genuine believer? Like, how does that happen? I, I guess I would probably um, challenge the idea that genuine believers don't mess up because mm. we do. Yeah. Uh, sometimes by mistake, sometimes on purpose. I mean, we still have a sinful nature that we give into and uh, sometimes embarrass the Lord and, mm. uh, and uh, embarrass the gospel. Um, so I guess I, I guess I would say that we need to realize that even the strongest believer in Christ fights his or her own sin nature, fights against a world that, that is... Uh, militaristically against God and against mm. the Bible. And we're tempted to give into that, if not literally, at least emotionally or physically, and begin to identify with uh, the thought patterns of the world rather than what God's Word says. Mm. Um, so in, in a sense, I, I don't get too bummed out by people who claim to be Christians and do really bizarre things. Mm. I get more mad at me when I fail. Mm. And... Uh, when I embarrassed the Lord. Um, I was at a conference many years ago, uh, John, that ended with the leader of the conference giving out a button that we were all to wear. Huh. It was a strange button. It just had the letters P-B-P-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. And we were supposed to wear this button. <laughs> and, and of course, people are going to say, what does that stand for? Yeah. And it stands for, please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. Hmm. I just think that's fantastic <laughs> because basically that's saying even, even though I know Christ and I have eternal life and my sins have been forgiven and I have peace with God, I am not perfect mm. yet by any stretch right. of the imagination. I'm not reached full glorification. Absolutely. And the more that I can admit where I make mistakes, where I fail in a real sense, it's kind of overcoming the holier than thou myth Mm. Many non-Christians think that that's the way we look at ourselves, that we're holier than others. And uh, a far better way to present ourselves is to present ourselves with our challenges and our weaknesses and, and where we fail the Lord and admit those things. I think we should admit those things even to those outside God's family. Right. So we say that we're honest people. Yeah. And exactly. I, think, I think that's what it comes down to, that idea of a genuine believer is uh, certainly not the mark of perfection, just like you were saying, but is the person's life marked by desire mm -hmm. to be pursuing those things? Or is, is their life marked by, gosh, that doesn't look like Jesus at all. That just looks like you're showing up to a social club. Right. Or man, that really looks like your heart's changing because God is at work and he's going to finish the good work he started. And, you know, I can see, yeah, you know, you sanctification, you know, you mess up, but then you're going, you know, no, I've learned, I've repented. I can keep growing. Right. And you, and you see that general progression of saying no to sin and yes to righteousness. Right. Um, and I think that's really what marks the genuine believers, that heart that's striving with all their soul, might, and strength and love for Christ to, to have their heart transformed for him. Sure. Yeah, just like that. Yep. And that's, um, and then that, I think, brings us to this next question. There are those who are, who are choosing to, to, go all out for Christ like that and to say yes to righteousness and notice sin. And Paul says in Galatians, you know, the flesh is against the desires of the spirit. The spirit is against the desires of the flesh. So you don't do what you want to do. And it's a struggle, mm -hmm. but you've got these choices of what do you want to do? Do you want to follow Christ or do you want to uh, follow your own thing? 
And so I think that gets us into a question of what, what does it mean to have those choices and to have kind of a free will like that to be a follower of God? Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's one of the central questions of the Christian life, the issue of choices, the choices that we make every day. A couple of books have helped me here, if I can just talk about them for a minute. Please, yes. Uh, I read a book a few years ago called The Gospel of Coincidence, Is God in Control? Mm. And uh, there are a couple of things that John Boykin says in that book that I think are really helpful. Let me see if I can find my notes here, um, because uh, he said some very helpful things. His emphasis is that things don't just happen. People do things. Hmm. Like, that is, we make choices. And he writes, My favorite absurdity comes from a renowned historian who, describing the origins of World War I, wrote that planning for war assumed its own momentum until in 1914 military expediency dominated the decision-making process and war declared itself. <laughs> War doesn't declare itself. People declare (laughs) You make a choice. And they make choices, of course. And then he talks about this. He says the decisions affecting your circumstances are not necessarily all made by you, by anyone available for you to argue with, by anyone recently, or by any one person alone, but they're all made by people. Hmm. And groups of people are nothing but people, whether they are a Congress, a mob, or a refreshments committee. So what I got out of this book um, is he puts the emphasis on the choices that we make mm-hmm. and, uh, and challenges us to not make excuses, to recognize that we do have a measure of free will, uh, but we're responsible for the decisions that we make. And uh, um, it's very similar to what C.S. Lewis said, that every day we're making hundreds, thousands of choices mm-hmm. that move us in one direction or another. Just recently, I talked to a young lady who professes to be a believer, but she's right now presently in an adulterous relationship, very clearly out of God's will. And uh, she basically said to me, she said, I'm on my journey. This is my journey. You can't tell me I can't be on this journey. And I said, well, you're on a journey, but it's headed the wrong way. Mm. And I said, it may not sound to you like it's very loving, but you need to repent. You need to leave this guy. You need to confess your sin. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, that's not very loving or understanding. And I said, well, Proverbs 27 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, mm. but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And I said, I do care about you. Mm. And uh, I, I, need to, I need to say to you that you are right now caught up in self-deceit. And she's thinking, what are you talking about? Mm. I said, well, you've, con- you've convinced yourself that the way that you're living is okay with God. And I said, the problem with self-deceit is you can't get out by yourself. You need somebody outside yourself to show you that you are deceived. Right. And I said, if my wife and I didn't love you, we wouldn't bother with you, but we mm. do care. That's so true. Yeah. And it's really that idea is if, if you know, I think of uh, if you if you work at a national park, right, you're very familiar with what directions the rivers go and if you see someone in a canoe going down a river that you know has a waterfall at the end of it, you would be the worst park ranger in the world if you didn't shout at them and say, hey, hey, you're going the wrong direction. Like, hey, it's really peaceful on this river, and I'm really enjoying it right now. And you can't tell me I can't enjoy it. Well, I'm telling you there's a waterfall at the end of it, and but then everyone has their choices. We have yeah. our choice to tell them and warn them, and they have their choice to completely ignore. 
Yes. And, uh, and I think that comes down to the next question of what does it mean to be responsible then for our choices? And, and how does God look at us and say, you know, what does it mean to be responsible in God's eyes when he says that to us? Well, I think this is one of the ways that biblical Christianity differs from, say, Islam, mm -hmm. where things can happen, people can do things, and sometimes uh, a Muslim's response may be, it is the will of Allah. Mm -hmm. Christians are not fatalists, and we're not, de we're not deterministic, thinking that every decision that we make has been preordained by God, and we're simply robots. No, mm -hmm. he has given us a measure of free will. Uh, now, granted, that free will is expressed by us as fallen human beings. And so I doubt any decision we ever make will be 100% pure. Mm. Our motives can always be challenged, I guess. But we have some measure of choice, and God holds us responsible for those choices. So, um, and I know theologians argue a lot about free will, but the bottom line is the way we live each day uh, we live on the basis of the logic. You make a certain choice, certain consequences will happen. And so for the larger question, why doesn't God just stop Christians who are embarrassing him, who are, who are giving him a bad reputation? Mm -hmm. I think sometimes he does step in. We have the case of Abimelech in Genesis 20, when mm. God keeps Abimelech from sleeping with Moses' wife. Mm -hmm. um, God does sometimes step in and intervene, but the normal course of life seems to be that God lets consequences follow choices so that we can, we can learn mm -hmm. how much we need his mercy, how much we need his grace, um, how much we need his word to guide us in the decisions that we make. Absolutely, and I think that's one of the big things that I've thought of when the question is, well, if God's you know, so infinitely powerful, why doesn't he step in all the time? And make it good. And I'm like, well, he's so infinitely good that he created us. And he created us in his image. And part of that is a decision-making process and bearing consequences exactly. and learning what responsibility is. And when you think about that, that's a beautiful thing. And that's part of being human. And that's how he created And And that's when I think we get into this idea of, you know, if he's so good, why doesn't he come in to stop people? And then also, you know, you're talking about fatalism. What's the difference in between what, could be his intended will and his actual will you know what i mean when it comes to that question of well then well isn't there a determined path and isn't there a certain thing and all things working together for my yeah. good how does that work i think theologians get paid for these big conversations yeah. <laughs> and uh they get paid for the terms that they invent to try to explain the biblical material that they see mm -hmm. and so some will talk about god's perfect will and god's permissive will and I think there's some legitimacy in that. Mm -hmm. uh, his perfect will is that we become like Christ. Am I making choices every day to become more like Christ? No, there are times that I consciously choose not to become like Christ or to act like Christ or to think like Christ. Mm. Um, he allows me to make some of those bad choices, to, to make those bad choices. So I think there is some justification for what God's perfect will is and what God's permissive will is. Uh, Gary Friesen wrote a, real, a really good book called Decision-Making and the Will of God a couple of decades ago. Mm -hmm. right? But old, old books are just as good as new books, oh, yeah. sometimes better. <laughs> and uh, Friesen basically argues that uh, we have a measure of choice and responsibility, and we should be asking what choices will lead us uh, to progress in the Christian life and become more like Jesus. So mm. 
why doesn't God, why didn't God prevent 9-11? Why didn't God stop my grandmother from dying? Mm. You know, we can ask a thousand different questions. And I believe the Bible's categorical message is it's not because God couldn't. Mm. And it's not because he's not loving. And he may not even tell us why he did not stop certain bad things happening. We may know one day, mm. but he knows. I mean, I think of the Old Testament uh, character of Job. I mean, Job really went through it. He lost everything. Oh, yeah. uh, one writer said he lost everything but his life and his wife, and he could have done without her. <laughs> yeah, she <laughs> was, she, she's the one that said, why don't you just curse really God mean, and die, yeah. right? She was awful. But what is interesting, the book of Job to me, is that his friends who sat with him silent for seven days on the ash heap, by the way, that was the only right thing they did. For the next 30 chapters, they spiritually mug him Mm -hmm. and try to convince him he's brought all this tragedy on himself, which was not the case. But God never explains to Job why he's going through all these things. Mm -hmm. And yet Job, though Job struggles in his theology of suffering, in many ways, uh, uh, leaves a lot to be desired. Job honored God in his life and recognized that God was sovereign. And I need to learn that too. Mm. And it's that, that's when I've had these conversations with people, that idea of God is sovereign. Because his ultimate question back to us when we have these questions is, can you trust me? Mm-hmm. Can you trust me? Can you trust me with your whole life even when you don't understand it? Can you trust me when you do understand it? Right. Can you worship me? Because the proof of your trust is if you continue to worship me, even when it doesn't make sense or even when it's hard. And Job illustrated that perfectly because he trusted the Lord, continued praising his name, even if he was questioning the situation that he was in. He never questioned God, you know. And that was just really interesting to see his story and how that plays out. He he does say in the book of Job, that God has made me his target. Mm -hmm. And that uh, I think he says, God, you're wrong for doing all this to me because there's no sin that I know of. Mm. Uh, In in Job's theology of suffering, if you do well, you get blessed by God. If you're experiencing really negative things, you must have done something wrong. Right. And Job realizes, "I, I don't know of any wrong that I've done, but I'm experiencing all these bad things. Somehow God's made me his target, and I just don't understand. Mm. So I'm, I'm thankful for the book of Job. It doesn't oh, yeah. answer all the questions, but it raises a lot of good ones. And it, and it helps us it helps us know more about God and, and his response to these things, right? Because mm-hmm. he looks at Job and he says, don't you understand how, how powerful I am? Don't you understand who you're talking to? Yes, and, exactly. And don't you understand what's, what's going on with the, with the knowledge that you do have? Can you, can you sit down? you know, relax a little bit because, um, I mean, he comes in a fury when he, when he talks about it, it's terrifying. Sure. And he talks about Leviathan. He's like, did you put the ring in his nose? And you just think of this all powerful God and in the same all powerful God that would love us enough to send his son and transform our hearts right? uh, for him. And I think, I think that's amazing. So why doesn't God stop his followers from giving himself a bad rap? Now that we've answered kind of these preparatory questions, we get in back to the original. Mm-hmm. Why do you think God doesn't stop his followers from giving himself a bad rap? There's, there's a great quote that I have here from Wayne Cordero, a book called Leading on Empty. And he writes this, God's ways are certainly not our ways. And all too often before the truth sets you free, it will make you miserable. 
Hmm. We dare not conclude that what we're going through lacks the divine touch simply because it entered our life without our permission. Hmm. I think that's powerful. Let me read that last part again. Yes. We dare not conclude that what we are going through lacks the divine touch simply because it entered our life without our permission. In a real way, the question is, who is God? Mm -hmm. I'm not God. And so for me to demand an explanation for everything I suffer, or for me to demand the right that I approve what sufferings come my way, is trying to approach divinity myself mm. instead of trust, as you, as you were saying. Trusting God, he's proven his trustworthiness. He's proven his mercy and his grace through Christ on the cross. Absolutely. Uh, what other evidences do I need that I can thoroughly trust him with, with everything? Mm -hmm. um, but I think sometimes we are so me-focused that we think it's up to me to decide what troubles will hit me. And if something happens out of my control, either God is not all good or uh, life is unfair or God is unfair. Mm -hmm. I think as I've, as I've thought about this question, and why doesn't God stop his followers from giving himself a bad rap? I think it's, a lot of it is because he's allowing his followers to grow. Mm -hmm. There'd be no growth if we weren't challenged. There'd be no growth if we didn't trip up and make mistakes like we talked about earlier, where you, you, make, you embarrass the gospel, you embarrass yourself, and a lot of times the genuine believer will look back at those moments and go, oh, man, gosh, did I really mess that one up? Man, Lord, help me not do it again. Yeah. yeah. And, and if God had stepped in, and removed the ability for me to have grown through that, I'd be making the mistakes all over again. Or I wouldn't know that I was making mistakes, right. you know? Right. And so God loves us so much that he wants us to grow, and he wants us to, to be challenged and, yeah. and, and to seek him through those things. I read a book years ago by Keith Miller called Habitation of Dragons, and one of the things Keith Miller said in that book was nothing in the Christian life is wasted, even our sins. Now, he wasn't making the case that we should go out and sin. Right. But he said, even when we mess up badly, God can still use that. And I think uh, we, we don't do the world a service when we act like we have no sin and no weaknesses and no problems. Mm -hmm. All we do is drive people away from the gospel. It's when we are transparent and honest and confess and repent and apologize and ask God's help to do better mm -hmm. that... Rather than pointing to ourselves, we point to a perfect Savior. Mm -hmm. You may find fault with me, and rightly so, but you will not find any fault with my Savior. Absolutely. And I, I think of that, that, that beautiful thing of the transformation of life with Christ, that a genuine follower of Christ is going to be continually transformed into mm -hmm. Christ-likeness, right? just like we were talking about at the beginning. And... Uh, You've read Voyage of the Dawn Treader by, by C.S. Lewis, and I think of Eustace and all the horrible mistakes he made and how much uh, Lucy wanted someone to just step in, you know, maybe reap a cheap the mouse to, and get rid of Eustace because he was so annoying. But then the transformation that Eustace goes through is all the more beautiful because no one stepped in the way that Lucy had mm -hmm. wished. But we see this incredible character come out of it. Who is a, who's an awesome guy. Right. <laughs> He's a great right. character. Exactly. And, and I think of this stained glass where the, each individual piece looks like it's ruined, 
but then all put together in the way that it should be each broken piece that now becomes a stained glass window is the most magnificent thing when the sun hits it. Right. And God's doing the same thing with us. And I think that, uh, that's one of the reasons for the local church is mm. that we are to be a family. We are to be a body. We are to be a, a group of individuals who love each other so much that we will get risky sometimes mm. and take that brother or sister aside and say, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm seeing this in your life. And that doesn't strike me as really what you want to do with your life. That doesn't seem to be, just help me understand. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just asking. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet so often we're like the world and then we let everybody just go their way yeah. and we don't get involved. But uh, Galatians tells us you who are spiritual restore that person who's fallen. Mm-hmm. And, and I know the easy excuse is to say, hey, I'm not spiritual. Right. <laughs> well, get spiritual. Right. We're supposed <laughs> to get is. spiritual so we can help each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of the reason for, for hard things like church discipline. It's not, to, it's not to punish the person as much as it is to help them realize they're going the wrong way. They need to repent. And they, we want to welcome them back into the fellowship of God's people. And restored. Absolutely. That's a beautiful word, restored, to bring back in, yep. in fullness, not yep. just uh, put up with and deal with and ostracize. And yeah, you can go back in the church, but if you'd sit in the back, that'd be great. Your old seat's taken by someone else. I heard somebody put it this way, uh, John. They said, if you're Catholic and you do something bad, you get excommunicated. If you're Baptist and you do something bad, you get disfellowshipped. I grew up in what are called the Brethren Assemblies, and they said, if you do something bad in the Assemblies, you get disassembled. <laughs> totally cut up. Yeah, that's it. the end of it. And that's, that's, that breaks my heart when I hear that because it's no mistake that in Galatians, that, that verse of you who are spiritual, when someone gets caught up in sin, restore them in gentleness. No mistake that that comes right after he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Love, peace, patience, gentleness, yep. self-control, all these incredible fruits of the Spirit, that then we exemplify those fruits as we restore someone. Because someone who's being restored like that isn't going to want to reject it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you're coming at someone with a spirit of uh, all the spirit, all the desires of the flesh that he lists before the spirit, spiritual fruit, if you come at them with deceit and malice and anger and fits of rage, who wants to be around that? Right. No one. No one wants to be around yep. that. But if God were to step in and step stop every situation the way that we wish that He would, sometimes we'd never be able to grow like that. Right. We never learn what it means to be in step with the Holy Spirit. So if you could say, as we kind of wrap up this conversation, if you could say one thing to each person who's struggling with that idea of why isn't God stepping in, what would you say to them? Well, I would say that uh, because of God's grace, we have the privilege of following hard after Christ, pursuing him with all our might, growing every day in God's word, um, moving on in righteousness, Hmm. quickly acknowledging when we have failed God, when we have embarrassed the gospel. Uh, But when things happen to us that bring difficulty, challenge, tragedy, it does raise the issue of trust. Hmm. Am I trusting God? And if I'm trusting God, then uh, he will help me. He will give me the strength to go through this. Um, Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, really brings that out. Uh, the fact that I may be going through something and I, not, I don't know why does not mean there's not a reason why. God knows the reason why, and he may not tell me. Mm. But 
my responsibility is to honor him even in my brokenness. And uh, sometimes it's in my brokenness that Christ is most magnified. Mm. Not that we seek brokenness, right. but it comes inevitably to all of us at different different times and different forms. And um, that's where I need to ask God to give me the power to make good choices uh, that honor him, that exalt the gospel, that uh, that reflect the grace and mercy that he's shown me. Mm. Thank you so much for... For joining us for this conversation, this was this was wonderful, and I want to talk about. You have uh, some books with you that you brought, and you also brought the book that you just published recently, correct? Yep. And yep. I, I think that that would be all the links for our viewers watching or listening. We're going to have all these in the description, and this is great. So this is unlike Jesus. Let's stop unfriending the world uh, by Dr. Dixon. And I think that that's a great, that's going to be a great read for anyone who's listening to this and is like, okay, well, what does it mean to be a genuine follower of Christ and interact with the world? It's a great reference book. As in the way that you format that is, you know, question, answer, and talk about why doesn't this look like Jesus? How do we look like Jesus? And then go to the next one. It's a great, great tool. And I would recommend uh, that our listeners check it out. And the links uh, and titles and everything that you can find them on will be down in the description. Thanks so much for being on the show, Dr. Dixon. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share with a friend so we can keep growing uh, in this together. And if you have any questions that you would like answered on the podcast, please drop in the comments below. Have a great one.